Welcome to the Maybe I Can podcast. I'm your host, Debbie Weiss. I'm here to motivate and inspire you to stop using your circumstances as an excuse, just like I used to. An excuse to not take control of your life. It's time to stop living your life on autopilot and start taking purposeful action to create the life you truly desire. Let's do this together. Hi, welcome back to the Maybe I Can podcast. I'm your host, Debbie Weiss, and thank you so much for listening today. I know you have a lot of choices out there, so I really appreciate that you're taking the time to listen to my show. So today, I want to read to you a chapter in my memoir on Second Thought, Maybe I Can. And until a few minutes ago, honestly, I had no idea that this is what I was going to share with you today. But as I was meditating this morning, it just came to me because over the last couple of weeks, one of the things that keeps coming up in my life is my money, my finances, my situation, what's smart to do, what's not smart to do, the spending. And it seems to be a recurring theme in my life, as it is, I know, with many of us. And for the longest time, and I have to say, even today, I'm I'm very nervous that I'm doing this and uncomfortable. But because of that, that means that I have to do it because I want to share with you this chapter in my memoir that is this money story that I am ashamed and embarrassed about. It's really the only chapter in the book that I never planned on putting in there. I didn't want to air my dirty laundry publicly or this type of dirty laundry around money. It's important because I want you to know if you now are struggling or you have in the past, you're not alone. It happens, I think, to the majority of us. And each of our situations is different, but it doesn't matter. What matters is that we have the capacity to change whatever is happening in our lives. And really, the situation that I got myself in was the result of the decisions that I had made years, months, days prior. And so if they were different decisions, and if I made different decisions going forward, I could then change my situation. So... Okay, without further ado, I'm going to read to you and share with you my dirty laundry money story. Each of the chapters in my book starts with a quote. So this chapter, just entitled Money, says, sometimes you don't realize your own strength until you come to face it. Excuse me. Sometimes you don't realize your own strength until you come face to face with your greatest weakness. Susan Gale. I've never been more scared and vulnerable as I am right now sharing this story. I'm typically an open book, feeling very comfortable to share my struggles with friends, family, and even strangers. However, there's one thing I've never really admitted to anyone in my entire life, at least not the whole ugly, messy picture. I've revealed parts of this secret to a few, but never the entire truth. It's time, but I'm scared. I know people will talk and I'll be judged, but I'm sharing because the sole purpose of this book is to help you. Maybe you have a deep, dark secret that you've kept to yourself, 
or it might just be so deep that you haven't even admitted it to yourself. I was that person. Anytime a thought crossed my mind regarding my secret, I would concentrate on pushing it down and force myself to think about something else because thinking about my secret was almost unbearable. Here it goes. I have lived most of my life in debt. Not just a little bit of debt. Oh no. It started out that way and then it turned into hundreds of thousands of dollars. Seeing these numbers truly made me sick to my stomach. But let me start at the beginning. It started when I was a child. Growing up, money was something we never had enough of. Now, let me tell you that we lived a very comfortable middle-class life. We were not poor by any stretch of the imagination. We lived in a nice three-bedroom Cape Cod home in a suburban neighborhood. We always had what we needed, but nothing particularly extravagant. But to maintain that lifestyle, my parents had to accumulate debt. They had high credit card balances. I hated those Saturday afternoons when my dad would sit down at his desk and try to figure out how to rob Peter to pay Paul. He would be angry and in a bad mood for the entire day. When his stress level was through the roof, we knew to stay away from him. Michael and I learned to turn the lights off because electricity costs money and that money doesn't grow on trees. My parents had a large circle of friends, and many of them lived in nicer neighborhoods, drove luxury cars, and took great vacations. They wanted to have the same things their friends did, not that I can blame them. They had a bad case of keeping up with the Joneses. Driving a Cadillac was very important to my dad. Cadillacs back then were the Tesla and Mercedes of today. Every few years, a new shiny Cadillac would show up in our driveway. It was my dad's prized possession. You could see his chest puff up with pride each time he got behind the wheel. Of course, as a kid, I didn't understand that we really couldn't afford that Cadillac. I believe the stress of being overextended most likely played a part in my dad eventually having a stroke. When I was a teenager, my parents decided that we needed to upgrade both our home and neighborhood. It was fun to go house shopping and see the inside of other people's homes especially since they were bigger and nicer than ours. As we'd walk through, I would consider which bedroom I would want and picture myself hanging out and sleeping there. All that dreaming was great, but I was a teenager, a teenager whose social life revolved around her existing neighborhood. Couldn't my parents wait a few more years until I went off to college? My mom loved a house that was 30 minutes away. She desperately wanted to move, and I desperately did not. I was completely traumatized. After many long, drawn-out arguments, I prevailed, and we stayed in our town and only moved a few blocks away. It was a much more upscale neighborhood. I wasn't thrilled, but couldn't complain since I was able to remain in the same school. Once my father had the stroke, our money situation got even worse. We never had enough, but Michael and I were older and were working part-time, so we made enough money to meet our own daily needs. At home, money continued to be a huge source of stress. My mom had to deal with my dad's illness and the loss of his income. She walked around tense and distraught for several years. I had learned that money equals stress, period. Fast forward to 1985. After graduating from college, I went out on my own and reality kicked in quickly. Suddenly, I was paying rent, a car payment, 
food bills, gas, and a college loan, just to name a few. I barely had anything left over to buy myself clothes or go out on the weekends. Am I supposed to just sit home in sweatpants while everyone else was out enjoying themselves? That isn't fair. Hence, the start of my own personal money journey. Right out of the gate, credit cards became my best friend and my worst enemy. If I wanted or needed something, or if I wanted or needed something, I charged it. I would charge it and worry about the bill when it would arrive in the mail weeks later. After all, that's what my parents did, and they seemed to be doing okay. It seemed like a good idea until the minimum payments of those cards continually increased as the outstanding balances grew. Before I knew it, I owed over $10,000 in credit card debt in addition to my car and student loans. The idea of saving money was a distant dream. I would tell myself that once I got a raise, things would be different. Boy, was I wrong. Nothing was different because instead of using the extra money to pay down my debts, I just bought newer, nicer things. I moved apartments, and each time I upgraded, I never gave much thought to the future or the debt that I was accumulating. I pushed all those thoughts aside and continued down the same path. When Gary and I got engaged, I had to come clean. I was so embarrassed to tell him just how much debt I had piled up. At that point, I owned a one-bedroom condominium, drove a nice car, and had a mountain of debt. Gary was shocked. He had assumed that since I was a CPA, I would have no debt and a nice nest egg. I explained my various circumstances, really excuses, but I wasn't admitting that to myself which had created my financial situation and confidently told him that together we would overcome it. He needed a few days to process the information, but luckily he loved me, so he accepted it and married me, debt and all. Gary had been responsible with his money and lived a simple life in a tiny apartment. Other than a car loan, he had no debt, but not much savings either. This was just the beginning of my money story. The circumstances and amounts changed, but my behavior never did. Once we were married, I was in charge of our money. Gary felt relieved not having to worry about it. It made him nervous, and I always tried to avoid making his anxiety worse. Otherwise, he would become so hard to be around. I always had a story to tell myself and Gary. Keep in mind, I truly believed these stories. When I explained our financial situation to him, I wasn't lying at least not for a long time. I never actually lied to him, but sometimes I didn't share the complete story. There was a brief period in the late 90s when the stress of money was behind us. We had no debt and excess funds to purchase things for our new house. The absence of a financial burden looming over our heads was exhilarating. What was I to to worry about if that... No, I got to repeat that. What was I to worry about if it wasn't money? Clearly, I felt the need to fix that. First, I used the money to decorate our new house. Shortly after that, we moved on to all our fertility treatments and Sam's therapies, which were not covered by our insurance. I couldn't have predicted that we would need the money to start and help our family. However, I never changed any of our spending habits. Our flat, calm financial landscape grew into a pile, then a hill, a towering mountain, and then a mountain range of debt. I was silently suffocating. 
I couldn't share the entire picture with Gary because when I did, it would send him over the edge. So I did what any good partner would do, and I dealt with it alone. Occasionally, the stress would overwhelm me, leading to an uncontrollable panic as I observed his excess spending during grocery shoppings. In moments of weakness, I would question his expenditures, which would cause some anxiety and prompt extreme reactions. He would decide we couldn't spend any money, and he would slip into a depression for days. In these times, he was unpleasant to live with and barely spoke to any of us. Once I saw the correlation between money and his depression, I avoided sharing anything with him at all. Why would I make him depressed when I didn't need to? So I kept doing what I knew to do, charging all our purchases and worrying about the bills when the time came. I had become my parents. As the years went on, I drained drained our large retirement savings, which we had been able to accumulate when times had been better. Once that was gone, I would not be able to pay our estimated income taxes. Since I was self-employed, I had to make quarterly payments myself. Instead, I needed to use that money to pay my mortgage and buy food. I would delay worrying about the money I owed the IRS until April 15th of each year. I would be able to pay a good amount and then would have to ask the IRS to pay the remainder in installments. This worked for a few years, but during that time, my credit card balances continued to rise. Anytime I had to pay bills or look at notices from the IRS, I would do what I did best. I'd stuff it back down and not let the panic take over, but I was only fooling myself. Deep down, I knew the situation was only getting worse. I knew that we no longer could afford our house. For a variety of reasons, our income had never been as high as it was the first couple of years when we first bought our house. Instead, it had slowly continued to decline year after year, but our tax bill was higher and higher because I was taking our retirement money out to pay our bills. It was absolutely nuts, and only I knew what was happening. As the years went on and the situation worsened, my sense of shame and embarrassment intensified. I was constantly berating myself. How could I, of all people, have allowed this to happen? I'm a numbers person. I'm a CPA and an insurance agent. I run my own small business. I should have known better. I was a fraud. I might know the right things to do, but I had never done them myself. In February of 2020, Mindy and I attended Oprah's Transformation Tour. It was a full day of inspirational speakers, including Oprah and Michelle Obama. I had already begun to transform my life in other ways, but my money situation was quickly coming to a head. Nonetheless, I continued to resist confronting it. Near the end of the day, Oprah told a personal story about a secret she had kept from herself. And she asked the audience, is there any area of your life where you are not being honest with yourself? Oprah explained how whatever the situation is, it will eventually explode like a volcano. And in the end, you'd be much better off owning up to it and finding a solution prior to the eruption. You might not like the solution that's necessary, but you'll be in charge. I almost began to cry. As she spoke, I held back the tears so Mindy didn't see and question why I was crying. 
Oprah's words penetrated me as sharply as a knife. Oprah, you're right, I thought to myself. As of today, I will no longer be an ostrich sticking my head in the sand. It was time to take control. On February 12th, 2020, I resolved to change, to change, marking a turning point in my life. This was only the beginning of my money transformation. I began to take stock of the situation we, of this, ugh, I began to take stock of the situation. We were in so much debt in addition to what we owed the IRS, bankruptcy seemed to be the only option. Even though I was being honest with myself, I still wasn't telling Gary. I went to see a bankruptcy attorney who explained that even if I declared bankruptcy, it would not take care of my IRS bill. At this point, the IRS wanted me to pay $8,875 per month, which was impossible. I had been dealing with the IRS for years, but our problem had grown too large and I needed an expert. Google was the only resource I had when looking for help. No one, no one else I knew needed to find an attorney to deal with the IRS for them. Cue increased feelings of shame and embarrassment. I was petrified that I would hire someone who didn't know what they were doing. That was a big, big deal, and it was so scary taking a chance on an unknown person. After reviewing my situation, they told me that I could help, that they could help, but it would most likely be a long, drawn-out process in its entirety but I didn't care. It all sounded good to me. I gleefully turned my burden over to the attorney and breathed a sigh of relief. I still owed the money, but at least I wouldn't be afraid that someone would show up at my door telling me we needed to move out. I then went on a mission to take other corrective action. I turned once again to a podcast for advice. In several episodes of a podcast I've been listening to, the host had talked about the importance of multiple streams of income. The concept made sense to me, but the execution seemed impossible. This is for the wealthy, not someone like me. I decided I would try and sell some items in my house that I no longer used or wanted. This would allow me to make a little extra money while also improving my mental health by cleaning out my cluttered home. I was stunned to learn about all the websites that were out there to help regular people sell stuff. I had absolutely no idea. I enlisted Joan to help me since she had previously sold some of her items. She took pictures and posted them for me. It hadn't taken me very long to find dozens and dozens of purses, jewelry, and other household items that were either brand new or barely used that I was thrilled to sell. Once I made the first sale, I was hooked. It became an exciting game, and I enjoyed selling things for any amount, regardless of how big or small. I branched out and began posting on a website where I would need to ship the items sold instead of just leaving them on my porch for someone to pick up. It was certainly more labor-intensive, but it broadened my audience, and items started to sell quicker. I loved hearing the cha-ching sound on my phone when a sale had been made. I was constantly looking around the house for things to sell. It slowly became an obsession. I launched into researching other ways to make additional money. I read books, articles, and listened to more podcasts. I explored various ways to make more income in my insurance agency and decided this is where I needed to start. 
I tweaked our sales processes and became focused on creating real change, something I hadn't been motivated to do in years. There was no quick fix, though rectifying the situation would require years of dedication. I was now confronting this challenge with unwavering determination. I was on my way. I was on my way. And you know what? Years later, I am still on my way. I don't know what to say that I'm out of it. I'm not out of it. It's, it's still now something constant in my life. And it keeps coming up recently. And, you know, I think I read that chapter for you. But also, I think what it is, is just a good reminder to just be responsible. And I, th- I think a good reminder that the choices that I'm making today and the choices that you are making today are creating our future self, right? Our future picture. And I'm talking about money, but really I'm talking about so many different things. For me, it could also be food. Like when I'm eating something today, it's pleasurable, but then what is it going to do to my future self? I don't want to preach to you, okay? That's not the reason. My reason for reading that chapter is to be open and honest and vulnerable with you to make you know that you're not alone if this is also something that you've struggled with, to just remind you that it's, you've got this, I've got this, it's up to us, it doesn't matter. You know, I told myself stories all along in my life why I was in this situation. I had to do it because I had to pay for in vitro fertilization for a million times. And I had my son's therapy for years and years and years and years that wasn't covered by insurance. And all of the stories that I told myself were really excuses because yes, those things were happening. However, I still had choices and those choices led me into the situation that I was in. And so it's just a reminder to make sure that your choices, all of your choices are consistent with the person that you are looking to become. And I want you to know that this is hard for me. This is really, really hard for me. I didn't want to put it in my book and I didn't want to put it out loud in my podcast, but that's who I am. And sharing those vulnerable stories hopefully will will help you in some way. So big sigh, big sigh of relief. Got to let my shoulders, my shoulders, if you're listening on the podcast, you can't see, I'm looking at myself in my recording and I could see my shoulders are up to my ears. That is complete and utter tension. Okay, big breath in, big breath out. We've got this. I'll talk to you next time. Thanks so much for listening today. And remember, you've always had the power, my dear. You've just had to learn it for yourself. Until next time.